Father, we are so grateful to be here in your presence. Thank you for inviting us to worship you. Thank you for welcoming us into your house. God, we pray that you would be glorified here today. We pray that you would be pleased through our singing, through our time in your word, through our fellowship, and interacting with one another. God, we pray that you would help us now as we turn our attention to your word. Open our eyes. Help us to see and understand what we find in your word. God, would you speak? Help us to hear. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it is so good to be back with you. Uh, Amber and I had a great time away in San Diego and Denver. We saw some friends and family. I almost made that family. Uh, We saw a lot of friends and family that we love. We were in Denver where we spent a lot of time in ministry. But uh, in all of it, we were reminded just of how much we love Benicia, how much we love you as our church family, how eager we were to be back here and get to do life here where God has placed us. So we're, we're grateful for you. I heard Pastor Lee did a great job. I actually got to listen to his podcast from last Sunday while we were driving through the desert. And so a big thank you to Pastor Lee for teaching us last week as we uh, were in our Rhythms series. I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 11 with me this morning, which is where we're going to be spending some time together. Again, we've been in this summer series looking at rhythms or Spiritual disciplines, you might call them. What are these habits, these patterns of movement that we as believers should have in our lives in order to stay connected to the Lord, in order to stay healthy as his people, and in order to grow as his followers? And this morning, we're going to be talking about prayer, which is a pretty daunting task, if I'm being honest. First, because I feel I have so much room to grow in the area of prayer. I feel like I'm not an expert. It's, it's kind of scary to teach on it because I feel like I have so much to learn still in the area of prayer. Maybe you can relate. Feeling like prayer is a great ocean of a topic and we've barely dipped our toes in at the beach a little bit. Uh, It's also a daunting task because of how important prayer is. Prayer is so central to our lives as believers. Christian author, teacher Beth Moore put it this way, there are parts of our calling, works of the Holy Spirit, defeats of the darkness that will come no other way than through furious, fervent, faith-filled, unceasing prayer. There are parts of our lives and walk with the Lord that will come only by prayer, certain growth, certain advances in the kingdom of God. Prayer is so central. It seems that really anyone with a spiritual awareness at all would recognize and speak to the importance of prayer. Not just Christians, actually, research has shown that prayer is a a global phenomenon, that in almost every culture that's been discovered, prayer is there. Nearly uh, all people, the majority of people throughout time and history, and even today, would consider prayer as something that they engage in, right? There's this human desire to connect with the divine, right? To connect with God. We as Christians, of course, know that the one true God is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But all people have at least some sense that there's something or someone out there and they want to 
communicate, cry for help, connect with God. But I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, prayer is maybe an underdeveloped rhythm in our lives. We wish we did it more. We wish we knew how to do it better. We wish that in some way we could grow in it. Again, at least I know that that can be the case for me. And so it's my hope today, just to give us a little bit more of an understanding of prayer, we're just going to scratch the surface because there's so much that could be said, so many things we could talk about. We're going to use Luke 11, though, as our guide to give us some bearings on how to engage in prayer. So let me read the first verse for us of Luke chapter 11. Verse 1 says this, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as, just as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, and let's read this next part out loud together as a prayer. Would you join me? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Amen. Before we talk about the how-to of prayer that Jesus teaches us, here's how I want you to pray. Before we get there, notice how the chapter begins in verse 1. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. This is the type of detail that maybe we could easily overlook or read right past. But notice before Jesus teaches us how to pray, he models prayer for us. Right? He sets an example that he himself was praying, seeking God the Father. And this is not an isolated incident. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see this over and over again. A few examples, Matthew 14, verse 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Or Mark chapter 1, verse 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Should we keep going? Now, we'll stop there. I think, I think you get the idea. So we read through the Gospels. We see Jesus over and over again engaging in prayer, even waking up early. And I don't think he drank coffee, but he was up in the morning and up late into the night, spending time with God the Father. And so I want you to notice first then that prayer, as Jesus models, is relational, right? It's, it's marked by Spending time with God. Spending time with God, our Father. Setting aside time. Sitting with Him in His presence. So prayer, we notice, is more than just a quick help or something we do as we're going throughout our day. Prayer, if we're going to do it well and follow Jesus' example, is about taking time intentionally to spend with God. And if you think about that, 
That's a pretty amazing truth that the creator God, the one who made the heavens and the earth and sustains all things by his power and his word, the one who knows the number of hairs on your head, the one who knows all the birds that fall to the ground as it were, nothing slips past his mind. He holds the the galaxies and the stars and the oceans in his hands. He knit you together in your mother's womb and everyone else. That God, powerful, almighty, creator, sustainer of all things, invites us to come to him in prayer. Invites us to share our hearts and our requests and our thoughts with him. He listens to us and he speaks to us who are, what, here today and gone tomorrow. Our life is but a breath and yet the Lord hears us and desires to spend this time with us. I spoke to some other friends in ministry and and people that I trust and I asked them, hey, if you were to, to preach a sermon on prayer, what would you say? What would you want to make sure you didn't leave out? And this was the number one thing, that, that prayer, they said, almost everyone said this, was not some kind of just laundry list, checklist thing you do with the Lord, but it's time with God, communion with God, hearing from God, speaking to God, that that relationship is central to prayer. So Jesus models this. He, he shows us this in verse 1 and throughout the Gospels. And so I wanted to start here because I think for some of us, when we think about prayer, maybe it's primarily in terms of something that we do kind of on the go, if you will. You know, Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing. And so some of us are like, well, I'm praying all the time. You know, when do you pray? Oh, I pray at work or in the car, especially if there's traffic, I'll pray, pray a lot, or I'll pray when my kids bother me, or when I'm at the store, or again, whatever it might be. I'm kind of praying as I'm doing all these different things. That's not a bad thing, right? Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing. Of course, we should be inviting the Lord into each moment, each experience as we go throughout our day. However, if that's the only way we pray, that's the only time that we give to the Lord, I think we're really going to be missing something key to prayer. Because think about how that would work with other relationships, a marriage, a close friendship. If the only time you communicated with one another was on the go, you know, when you're out running errands or a quick text message here or there or as you're, you're building something or you're off traveling or whatever, that's the only time you communicate. Kind of ships passing in the night might be hard to really develop intimacy and closeness if the only time you connect is on the go when you're distracted with plenty of other things. Prayer in any real meaningful close relationship requires time spent together, right? Where you sit down and you say, I'm, I'm going to put this down, I'm going to put these distractions away. And I'm here with you. That's how relationships grow. When you give attention to the other person, to speak, when you listen, 
I think the same is true with God. Yes, be praying throughout your day in every circumstance without ceasing on the go, but also as Jesus modeled, we need to create time where it's us and God, where our attention is turned to Him. And so I think as a practical step of application, I would encourage you today to look at your week. Look at how you spend your time and consider, do I ever set aside that time to be with the Lord? Do I make that time? Do I wake up early to be with God? Do I spend time with the Lord before bed or do I take a walk and pray? When am I focused on God? And again, not just along with all the other things I'm thinking about, but really sit and communicate with God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the rhythm of being in Scripture each day. It can work really well to kind of combine those times where you're, you're reading God's Word and then you're spending time in prayer, reflecting on what you have read, talking with God, praying for the day that is ahead, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, depending on what your availability looks like. I don't know when in the day that can go, come for you, depending on your schedule, but I would encourage each of us to think, are we making time for that the way that Jesus did? And full disclosure, again, this, this can be hard for me to do. As a pastor, as a paid ministry professional, it still can be a challenge because sometimes I feel like there's so much to do. And so prayer almost feels like it gets in the way. You know, it gets in the way of the doing. I got a bunch of stuff to do, but now I got to stop here before I get to the doing. Does anyone, anyone relate with that? It's hard for us in this fast-paced culture. We're constantly on a screen or, or reading something. Or there's noise. There are distractions put in so many different places. It's so hard for us to slow down and say, Lord, before I get to all of this, I need to connect with you. That's my priority. So I, I need to grow in this area. And I love the quote by Martin Luther. It always challenges me. He said this, <clears throat> I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Got so much to do before I do it. I got to spend three hours in prayer. For some of us, that's like, that's crazy. But think about it. Shows the significance of prayer. That prayer is not something in the way of us getting to the doing or living our lives. Prayer is necessary so that we become the type of people that the Lord wants us to be, so that we can step out into the rest of our day in the right way, connected with God, with his word and his heart fresh in our minds. So Jesus modeled this for us in Luke chapter 11, spending time with God the Father. But he also taught us how to use that time. So I want to take a look at the Lord's Prayer together. Notice how it starts, though. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. I love the setup here, right? One of the disciples come to, comes to him, sees him praying, says, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to learn how you do it. We're open. We want to be taught. And I thought, what a, a great posture. What a great request that we likewise should bring to the Lord, really on any subject, but especially on such an important topic as prayer. 
we can echo this request. Lord, teach us. Teach us to pray. So we come with a humility to the words of Christ that follow in the next few verses. And he teaches them, when you pray, I want you to say this. But before we jump in, notice that this prayer is not intended to be just something that we memorize and recite as some kind of dry act of religion. There's great benefit in memorizing it and reciting it and reading it out loud together as we did earlier this morning. Of course, that's a great thing, but it's not just that. We can also look at this prayer and the kind of phrases that Jesus uses as categories that we can take and and put into our own words and pray in certain ways. And I'll show you what I mean as we go. But he starts first with the address. When you pray, I want you to say, first word, Father. I want you to address God as Father. It appears that when we consider prayer and think about prayer, it matters who we're praying to. It matters that we know who it is we're praying to, our Father in heaven. God wants us to see him that way, approach him that way as our Father, not as some distant, far-off, uninterested, unapproachable deity. No, rather than that, he says, I want you to approach me as Father. This is foundational. As you see in the Old Testament and in the ancient world, there were people that worshipped false gods idols, pagan gods. And sometimes you'll see that those groups, as they were seeking to get the attention of their lower G, lowercase g gods, would go to great lengths hoping that that god would listen to them. You remember 1 Kings chapter 18 with Elijah and the, the prophets of Baal? They have this kind of showdown on the mountaintop. And you remember what those other prophets are doing who are worshiping Baal, the false god? They're making all kinds of noise. They're chanting. They're dancing around. They're, they're harming themselves, just trying to do something, anything, so that that god will listen to them. Trying to get his attention somehow, hoping, would you, would you hear us? What does Elijah do? And he calls out to the one true God, no, no chanting, no harming himself, no just desperately hoping to get the attention of some uninterested God to, to pull his attention away from his really busy job. No, he just simply prays and expects that God hears him. So in the same way, Jesus says, when you approach God, address him as Father. You don't have to worry about making a bunch of noise hoping that God will hear you, ripping God's attention away from his busy job as if he doesn't want to listen to you. Now you can come with confidence and address God as Father, a loving Father that listens to his children, that wants to hear from his children. Such a gift. We can address God in this way. He hears and he responds. Now, Zoe, my daughter, has not learned to call me dad yet. She's only about a year old. 
But when she does learn that, I'm in trouble. Because she's, she's going to say it, and I'm going to, no matter what, what is it? When she starts saying it, Dad, I'm here. All right, what, what joy there is in that. I'm excited for that day. She knows me as Dad. I mean, I guess she knows me as Dad now, but you know, she hasn't articulated it yet. So it's, it's going to be a good day in the Scrayback household. I think in the same way, God loves his children. God wants to hear from us. God welcomes us to come and call him Father. So we start there, and then you notice that the first two parts of the prayer after that are externally focused, right? Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And so Jesus is saying, don't just approach with with your needs and stay there. No, I want you to start by recognizing who God is, and your prayers can be shaped by focusing on God. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is not a word that we use very often today, maybe it sounds a little foreign, but it essentially means to be made holy or sanctified or shown to be holy. And so this is a prayer saying, God, would your name be seen and recognized as holy? Would people realize how glorious, how beautiful you are? In Scripture, when the name of God is referenced, it's really a way of speaking of God himself. And so this is a recognition of the greatness of God. God, you're holy. You are so good. You are so perfect. I want other people to see that. So we pray for the glory of God, that the name of Jesus would be made famous throughout the earth. Jesus says, I want you to start there. But notice that combined with Father. He would say, Father, hallowed be your name. One of those, when we say Father, emphasizes the nearness of God. God is a loving Father that is, that is close to us, that, that listens, that draws near. But when we pray, hallowed be your name, it recognizes the, the holiness of God. The greatness of God, it leads to a sense of fear and and awe and reverence before the Lord, right? Usually, our errors when it comes to theology or prayer is when we downplay one of those two elements, right? We think that God is so close and near and cuddly that we kind of lose a sense of of reverence or, or awe for God's greatness and holiness and glory. Or we think that God is so great and, and far removed and completely other and, and unapproachable that we, we lose a sense of his, his nearness, that he is a loving father that draws close. Yet scripture presents both of these things as true. God is imminent, he's near, and he's transcendent. He's completely other. And so Jesus teaches us to recognize both of those things as we approach God in prayer. Next, he says, pray for the kingdom of God to come. Pray for God's kingdom to come. The kingdom of God is, of course, a theme that we see throughout scriptures. In one sense, it points to the end of time when Jesus will return and usher in the new heavens and the new earth, and sin will be ultimately judged and condemned, and evil will be destroyed, and God's good world and good creation will be renewed once and for all. So we look forward to that day when we pray for his kingdom to come. 
But also, when we pray, your kingdom come, it's recognizing what Jesus taught about the kingdom, and that is that it is near. That the kingdom of God is at hand. That even now, the kingdom of God is is breaking in to our world. Even now, God's peace, God's goodness, his justice, his love is, is changing lives and changing families and changing communities and hopefully shaping nations. So we pray, Lord, would our world more reflect you and your ways, your kingdom come. So when we pray that way, if we think of that as a category, we can pray first for for people that we know to come to know the Lord, right? Because the kingdom of God is first identified by people worshiping the king, right? If we don't worship the king, then we're not really a part of the kingdom. And so we pray that your kingdom would come in this person's life, that they would recognize you as king, that they would worship you and you alone. But as we pray your kingdom come, it's also an opportunity for us to look at circumstances in our families, in our lives, maybe in our, in our country, that are not reflecting the kingdom of God. And we pray, God, would you enter this situation and change it and transform it where there is violence or war? Would you bring peace? Where there is injustice, would you bring justice? Where there is death, would you bring life? So we see We can pray for these situations. God, would your kingdom come? Would your ways rule the day? Again, one such example of this that uh, is is a little sensitive, but I think we should talk about it, the the situation going on at the border, the southern border with with families that are attempting to enter the country that that are being separated. I know we have a, a room full of different political opinions, but my hope is that we would be able to look at that and at least have a, a base level of compassion for people. Say, my goodness, Lord, I can't imagine what these families are going through. I can't imagine what these children are going through. And our posture could be one of compassion. And I know we have, I know even as I'm saying this, probably some of you are thinking, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, it's been going on a while, or yeah, but, it's the law, or whatever. But can we have a base level of compassion? Say, my goodness, Lord, that situation, what's happening there, that doesn't reflect your kingdom. That's not marked by love, by peace, by wholeness, by justice. That, that's heartbreaking. And so, God, we're going to pray in that situation. Lord, would you change what's going on there? God, we don't have the answers. We don't know exactly what it needs to look like, but something needs to change. And God said, so would you have your way there? Again, looking at current events, situations, and saying, Lord, would your kingdom come? This doesn't reflect your kingdom. We pray that it would. We pray that something would change. He starts by teaching us to pray for the name of God and his glory and the kingdom of God and his purposes. And then, then he shifts to focusing on our needs. Right? Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. We're invited to bring our needs to God. Daily bread, of course, is a reference to the Old Testament where God literally provided bread as the people of God were in the wilderness, provided manna from heaven, Provision for them to eat, for individuals and families. And so this is a a way of speaking of praying to God for our needs. 
Lord, would you meet our daily needs, our financial needs, our, our health needs? I need strength for the day. I need wisdom for the day. Most of us start here, right? <laughs> we, we jump in, Lord, here's my needs. And it's not that it's necessarily bad to pray for our needs, but recognizing a bit of order here and how we should address this. And I don't want to spend as much time here just simply because I think naturally we're a little better at this <laughs> than other forms of prayer. It just comes a little more natural to us to kind of cry out and say, God, help. And so when we think about this category, it's praying for our needs, our family's needs, our concerns. God invites us to bring those as well. Verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Jesus reminds us next that sin is real. We need forgiveness. But the good news of the gospel is what? Of course, that we can come to God and that he does forgive us. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. When we put our faith in Christ, he, he cleanses us. But this is a reminder that we regularly should be examining our hearts confessing our sins to God. God, here's where I have gone wrong. Here's where I've disobeyed you and the things that I've said or thought or done. And here's the things that I've said or thought or done uh, or that I should have said, but I, I didn't. Sins of omission and things that we do that we should not do. And so I, I think we need to consider, Lord, do we follow your model of prayer here? Do we confess our sins? Are we regularly coming to you asking for forgiveness, recognizing our wrongdoing? It's such a gift to confess our sins because then we recognize the good news of the gospel that we are cleansed, we are forgiven. So forgive us our sins, Lord. And lastly, lead us not into temptation. The idea here is not that we should expect God to tempt us or to get us to stumble or he hopes that we sin. That's not it at all. The idea is simply asking God to protect us, to keep us from stumbling, to keep us from temptation and possibly trying situations that would lead us to sin, asking for God's protection on our day, God's protection over our family, God strengthening us and guiding us for what is ahead. So again, we're scratching the surface, right? We just breeze through the Lord's Prayer. You could really do a whole message or a whole sermon series on each of those phrases, but yet we just touched on them really briefly. But this is really helpful if we would remember this prayer that Jesus taught us and then actually start to use it in our daily lives. Because I don't know about you, again, sometimes I come to prayer and my mind's just scattered or you don't know what to pray for or you, you know, I find myself kind of saying like the same thing for like day after day and this is a way for us to, to think through how to put these prayers into our own words. So we can go back to this and say, man, am I, am I praying for God's name to be glorified? Am I praying for God's kingdom to come in, in other people's lives and God's kingdom to come on earth and in our communities? Am I, am I bringing my request to God? Am I confessing my sin to God? Am I asking for his guidance and his wisdom to lead me in, in his ways? Again, if we memorize this prayer, then we can, can use it in our times with the Lord each day. And it should be said briefly that this model is not the only way to pray. It's not intended to be so rigid that we can't come before God until we kind of like, oh, Lord, hallowed be your name, check, and your kingdom come, check. And like, we're just like, really, we can't, 
go out of order or anything like that. That's not the idea. There are times when we just need to come before the Lord and say, help. God, I'm exhausted. I'm weary and I'm here at your feet. There's absolutely a place for that in our time of prayer. But this can be used as a general model, a guide for us to shape our prayer lives with the Lord. Luke 11, 1 to 4. I'd encourage you to, to memorize it. A little bit further along in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says these words. Verse 9, still speaking about prayer. He says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So I want you to ask, I want you to seek, I want you to knock, because when you do, again, this is in the context of prayer, God responds. God responds. Sometimes it's so hard for us to come to prayer because we don't know what good it does. Right? Sometimes it feels like, does it matter if I pray or not? Does God hear me? Does God really answer we might not be able to sort out the uh, connection between the sovereign will of God and the power or influence of our prayers. We might not be able to sort that out exactly how it works, but we see Jesus teaching us that our prayers matter. God responds when we pray. God grants requests when we ask. Things happen when we pray that would not happen if we did not pray. And so from the Lord Jesus himself, he's saying, ask, I want you to pray. God responds when you pray. Come to him with these things. It plays a part in shaping the future. C.S. Lewis, this is my, one of my favorite thoughts about prayer that he wrote. Maybe you know this kind of concept he was unpacking. He said, sometimes we don't pray or we get discouraged about prayer because it suffers from a heads I win tails you lose sort of situation. And here's what he means by that. He says, sometimes you'll pray for something and no matter how it's answered, you'll get discouraged or the enemy will use it to discourage you. He says, let's say you pray for something and it happens, or excuse me, and it doesn't happen. You pray for something and it doesn't happen. Well, that's just another example of prayer not working, right? You pray, God didn't respond. What good does prayer do? He says, but if you pray, and it does get answered in the way that you asked, you'll have a tendency to look for maybe the natural causes that led to it, and you'll eventually conclude that, well, it would have happened anyways. And so no matter which way it goes, the enemy will tempt you, lead you to doubt, thinking that your prayers don't matter, right? If God doesn't answer in the way you hope, yeah. Prayer doesn't work. If God does respond in the way that you hope, uh, it probably would have happened anyways. My prayer didn't play a part in that. And so in light of both of those doubts, we have the words of Christ where he says, I want you to ask, I want you to seek, I want you to knock. God responds to our prayers. And it's not that prayer is all about what we get out of it. Right? When we do pray, it shapes us. It draws us closer to the heart of God, no matter what the outcomes are. But Jesus is saying, I want you to, to ask God, and he will respond. We might not become a prayer giant overnight, but 
encourage us to take a step closer to the Lord this week by working this rhythm into our lives, looking at our schedule, finding time for God, making time for God to seek Him in prayer. Maybe you could come join us on Thursday morning at at 6.30. Bring the coffee. We'll be here in my office praying for our church, praying for our city. We'd love, love to have you there. As we close, I do want to, of course, remind us of the gospel. Every week, uh, we don't leave here unless we've heard the good news of Christ. Right? We have to come to the good news of Jesus. We don't just get sent out with moralisms, with go, do better, try harder, make more time for God. We come to the Word, we come to the Lord, and we need to be reminded of what He has done. And so in the context of prayer, if we remember the gospel, we remember that this access to God, this relationship with God, is only made possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. Right? We were sinners, dead in our sins, cut off from relationship with God, running away from Him in rebellion, worthy of judgment and hell and condemnation. But God... Through the work of Jesus Christ, though we were sinners, he took our sin away. He paid for our sins on the cross. He died in your place and in my place so that we could be forgiven and so that we could approach this holy, righteous, perfect God. We can then stand in his presence, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ that is placed on us through faith. So that's how we have access to God. That's why we can approach God in prayer with confidence and joy because of the work of Christ, not because of our own goodness. We remember there's no condemnation if we are in Christ. There's peace with God if we are in Christ. We're welcomed home as God's children if we are in Christ. So we have to remember the gospel. We can come to God with joy and gratitude because of what Jesus has done for us if We've put our faith in him. This morning, if you're here and you haven't made that decision to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the new life that he alone can offer in relationship with God, I encourage you to do that today. You can pray where you are now. You can come talk to me after the service, responding to God, saying, yes, Jesus, I need your forgiveness and I want to follow you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for being our Father who hears us, our Father who loves us, our Father who invites us to draw close to you. Thank you for caring about us, about our lives. God, we're amazed by your love. And God, we do pray for your kingdom to come, for our world to more reflect your heart, for our families for our cities, for our nation, for our world, God, to more and more reflect your ways, for that you would be glorified, that you would be worshipped. God, would you help us? Help us to make this a priority. Help us to seek you and to find you each day in prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.